a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together. This is Gino Borges, your host for the Journey of Impact series. I'm here with Lori Meyercourt today. Hello, Lori. Hey, Gino. It's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's very good to uh, very good to be here, and love the colorful background that you have going on. I know you're a big fan of the arts, and that's a large part of um, the reason why I invited you, and as well, of course, of being an impact investor. But I think you have a very unique angle on uh, the topic. Lori um, is coming to us as, um, as, as a good friend in the impact investing space. And as I mentioned, she's been featured in the New York Times on a couple uh, occasions back in 2016 and in 2018. And they essentially are centered around this idea of connecting impact investing to supporting artistic, aesthetic entrepreneurship. And we look forward to not only going into um, Lori's outward uh, impact investing life, but also her journey inside and, and how she's made uh, the journey to who, who she is today and where she is and how she is. So looking at all the different angles of what it actually means uh, to have a relationship with resources, money, stewardship, and to be in service to the world when um, all of a sudden we've had the a fortunate opportunity to be blessed with uh, that position. So welcome, Lori. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Lori, again, one of the big draws is that few people talk about the connection between uh, impact investing and actually supporting artists. It's often talked about as a, as a nonprofit phenomena, but you have found a way to make that transition into um a nonprofit into sort of a more of at least a uh, may, may not be a high yielding experience, but in general, you've thought about supporting arts in a much different way. Maybe you can touch on how you came to that point in, in your life on how you transitioned into saying, you know what, I want to do more with my resources. And in particular, I want to support artists in this particular way. Sure. Well, it kind of started out as a joke. Um, I had hired Jed Emerson to be a consultant. Um, my brother, Jack Meyercord, manages my money. And the two of us were pretty new to the space. And so we hired Jed to really give us, you know, the landscape and help connect us to people that might be aligned. And so we were sitting in like a strategy meeting saying, okay, so Jed said, so what are your, your top values, you know? And, um, I majored in art and was my first career was in the arts as a graphic designer and art director. So I've always loved the arts. And so I just said, well, yeah, like I would love to invest in the arts if that's possible, like good luck. And we all kind of got a chuckle out of it. And, um, and it's, it's not a joke at all. It's so possible and has been really rewarding to, to see that, um, you know, it, it's a viable vertical out there. And, um, and then as we've gotten into it, it's just, you know, amplified the uh, inspiration around that thing because we we need creativity to face some of the issues, you know, we're facing today. And so the arts kind of expanded, in my mind, um, to the creative economy, you know, and how to, how to really support creativity and not necessarily where I was starting as like literal arts, of course, that too, but a, mm -hmm. a wider range. Yeah. Now, can you be specific of how, like, where, like, where you are moving resources into, and uh, like, where at, and what kind of instrument it, 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 um, you know, what shape that investment product is in? Yeah. So um, there's a group called Upstart CoLab that Laura Callanan leads. So she was one of the first people um, three years ago I got connected with, and that was a nonprofit set up with a three-year grant to basically explore this exact topic is how can we invest in the arts and creativity? 
And so one of the first deals she brought to me was the one the article featured, which is art space. So that's more of like a real estate play creating um, housing for artists and their families, but also a community aspect where each um, apartment building has to have as part of the model a community classes and, you know, um, event space down at the bottom. So I really love that, but that would be more of like a, um, a real estate angle. Uh, and that was through Calvert. And so it was investing in, in a fund at Calvert. Um, another example would be one dome, which is right in San Francisco. Um, and another one is Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. And both of those are more like immersive art experiences where you're buying a ticket to go experience it. And so they're able to create revenue off of their ticket sales and their merchandise and, you know, food and beverage. And so, and both of those have been, um, one dome is a lot newer, but already they're having great success. And Meow Wolf is 10 years old and that's shown incredible success over the years. And now they're about to expand to Denver, Las Vegas, Washington, DC, and Phoenix. Um, so they're about to like really explode. So those are just some examples of, um, you know, different ways it can look. Um, the latest one I was mentioning to you right when we were starting is here in Kauai, there's an old guava manufacturing facility that myself mm. and two other people have gone in together. It's been sitting vacant for years. It's just like this ghost ghosted buildings and um but it's on stunningly beautiful land 40 acres and we've leased another 40 um and it'll be a combination of farming and a restaurant and then i'm leading up the art so we'll do a sculpture garden and we'll have artists in residence and we'll Ooh. eventually do classes for the community and the kids so we're it's a big project but you know that would be another example of how you know I'm investing in the arts, but not, not with an intention to just give away my money. You know, it's, it's still an investment and smart, um, but it's supporting creativity. And are you starting to have people reach out to you? And I'm just curious on the extent to which this is creating critical mass. Have you had others that have reached out to you and say, Hey, Lori, how are you doing this type of thing as a result of having this intentionality? I have. I've had some people um, reach out, want me to speak on a panel. It hasn't worked out yet um, for me to attend since I live in Kauai and have two young kids. It can be difficult to, one was in Portugal and the other one was in Colombia. It's like, <laughs> I would love to, but, um, but I'm hoping that's kind of what I'm hoping for next is to come together with other like-minded investors. And at the hundred percent network, um, event in Big Sur that I saw you at, you know, yeah. there seemed to be some interest there. And so that's tr what I'm trying to build now. Cause I felt a little bit just kind of on my own and, um, collaborating with entrepreneurs and with Laura. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find those other investors to team up with. You made the connection to that. Some of the issues we're dealing with now, um, would benefit by being approached artistically um, and aesthetically, can you give us a sense of what you're seeing out there where, you know, there's all these, uh, traditional categories, you know, climate change, uh, human rights and so forth. And they often get, uh, reduced down into, um, only using one part of the brain. And so a large part of the brain and the communal experience about being alive in the world just sort of is not a part of the vantage point. Just curious on what you've seen as a result of this, um, how how the communities, the aesthetic communities that you're supporting are addressing this in ways that the traditional paradigms, the traditional thought processes um, have been unable to access um, until this point in time because as a result of, you know, helping these artistic communities address these particular issues. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I don't know if I can speak to exact, you know, changes. Yeah. It's more of the trust within myself that those changes come when we are deeply listening to that creative life force within mm -hmm. us. And my experience in my own life and my belief is that these artistic perspectives, experiences help us get in touch with that own 
wisdom within ourselves that when we are stuck in one side of the brain, we're, we're maybe missing and not hearing. And so, yeah, it's, I love when I just went to San Francisco and got to go to one dome, I was blown away by the level of diversity going through there. I mean, there was every single, I feel like race represented an age group. You had grandparents with little kids. I mean, you had two teenage kids on a date. You had everything represented and the joy and the playfulness and the, the spark of creativity and inspiration I could see in their eyes. I don't know how that's going to translate in their community, but I just trust that that is essential for what we're facing. I say the same thing about our work in terms of community resiliency um, at Open Path, and probably the best outcomes we have are largely invisible. And it's a very felt, sensorial, visceral uh, sense of knowing um, that's um, less attached with uh, traditional sort of metrics and uh, which, which the space really loves to um, consolidate phenomena into little pockets. And yeah, we know intuitively from our own families and life experiences that often the best parts of life and joy and fulfillment are largely beyond you know, linguistic categories or our socialized metrics, but are really um, sort of an inward, um, trusting, faithful moment for sure. Yeah, exactly. Where did you um, begin this journey? And I know that you have a, a, a past that involves um, alternative medicine. I only say the term alternative. It's not alternative to me. It's mainstream to me, but it's alternative to most. Uh, perhaps share with our audience a bit on how your relationship to money um, evolved and where a little bit about your background on, on how you came to this point. Sure. Well, it's kind of funny because I grew up in New Jersey, a suburb of Manhattan, had was surrounded by finance, my dad, you know, brother, sister, uncle, cousins, and always had a little bit of the like, you know, uh, judgment. I had judgment. And so then I was the youngest kind of flower child kid, moved to California, you know, was an art major, Italian major, and, um, and ended up in uh, Chinese medicine school, right? So, so then it just turned out that my ex-husband um, was the first employee of GoPro. So we were on that journey together from the very beginning. And I had my acupuncture practice and two small kids and we're in debt, you know, from uh, student loans and put our whole wedding on a credit card. And so my relationship with money had been, like I said, having judgment around it and just being resourceful and kind of being the starving artist, youngest sister in the fam. And then GoPro, you know, turned out to be a success. And so all of a sudden we had this impending IPO and, and uh, my ex-husband didn't have any interest in the you know, investing side of it. So he's kind of like, I don't have the time or the interest. I'll leave this up to you. So I would call Jack, my brother at the time, who had his own hedge fund in Asian markets and was having his existential moment of, <laughs> this, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore and had shut it yeah. down. So we would kind of collaborate. And it all started when he said, um, I'm coming out to this uh, conference called SOCAP. Why don't you just come with me? Because you're in San Fran. So I went with him and it was a very aha moment of like, of course, this is what you would do. Um, but I still hadn't had the IPO. So I didn't have actually any money to invest, but it, so I was already sold. And then um, the IPO happened and we started to explore, uh, you're still kind of locked out for six months. Yeah. And so we were kind of exploring things. And, um, but again, my ex-husband wasn't, totally comfortable you know he'd been working his ass off for 10 years and was like this sounds great and all but I want to make sure you know he's coming from that place of like make sure I don't yeah. screw and uh which I understand and then just as fate would have it um our marriage ended up ending and mm -hmm. Jack and I looked at each other and I'm like well I guess this makes things efficient like in terms of what we want to do and I sold my portion and that really kicked off our um, journey to have just full freedom and 
and put all of that to work. So, yeah, so it was a pretty surreal experience, though, going from being, you know, in, in kind of one place with money to then all of a sudden I'm in the finance world and I'm trying to, you know, I'm right back where I grew up. But this time really feeling connected that I can do it from a value based place. And um, and you've talked about stewardship before. And it was just clear to me that for some reason, the universe wanted me to steward this money. You know, um, it wasn't what I had sought after ever in my life. Uh, and many times, you know, during the GoPro experiences were like difficult trying years. I was just ready to throw in the towel, you know, um, but it just ended up the way it did. And so now it's been a transition into the absolute um, privilege and honor it is to be able to direct this energy or capital towards um, things that that I love and things that I feel will support humanity and the planet. Have you noticed any um, connections between um, acupuncture and um, your journey on impact investing? Yeah, it's funny because when I had my acupuncture practice, there was a voice that would literally say to me, this is inefficient. And it would drive me nuts. And I'm like, okay, well, there's only so many ways you can have an acupuncture practice, you know? And um, even if you saw a hundred patients in a day, you know, it's just like, what, what is what is this voice? And then years later, as I'm doing this impact investing, I'm like, oh my God, this, this is, I think what it was leading me towards because this is obviously way more global. Yeah. And uh, not that treating the one person isn't, you know, as powerful, but I all of a sudden saw this opportunity to move energy or life force energy towards mm. areas that need nourishment and, mm -hmm. um, and to also in Chinese medicine, you're basically looking for areas of stagnation mm -hmm. and areas of deficiency. And you're trying to open up the areas of stag stagnation and nourish the areas of deficiency. And so we're still trying to do that right now. It's like, there's the people and the animals and mm. the environment that are maybe in deficiency, not they themselves, but the resources available. And then there's the areas where it's maybe stagnant and there's like a, a constriction and a holding. And so just kind of looking at that of the landscape of impact investing with that same acupuncture lens of looking yeah. for patterns and looking for balance is um, been fun. I, I love that. Just to keep that metaphor alive. So would the needle and acupuncture sort of be um, the equivalent of what impact investing is, where it's putting a little pressure on where it's stuck to open up the energy in a particular space rather than um, the earthly body that uh, we walk around with that carries our soul with us. But you're looking at the you're essentially looking at community bodies um, and and earth bodies and essentially looking for stuck energy and essentially the impact investing becomes sort of like the needle point where you find what I love is, is that term, the therapeutic pulse where all of a sudden there's that little throbbing going on and you know, you've hit it. And the beauty is watching the throbbing just diminish slowly as a result. Mm. And so when I see your work, when you're funding these aesthetic communities, there was probably an immense amount of um, stuckness um, or stuck blood, I guess, in, in, in some cases, right? I, I love that term that comes out of acupuncture as well. And uh, essentially, as a result, sort of the, the bodies of those communities um, start to feel more alive because we're sending energy to more nodes within them. And you sort of trust that what needs to sort of self-organize and reorient. Um, so essentially, the cosmological order does its dance with you as long as we're constantly in a sense of uh, creating flow for both not only the, the body that we're in via acupuncture, but more of how it's working within the sphere of money and communities as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and it just builds on that idea that we are all connected, you know. Yeah. You know, the five elements in the body, they all need each other, but they have to be in, in harmony. 
you know? Yeah. And so uh, if one isn't, it affects the whole system and eventually that same element. So yeah, it's kind of like looking at the globe as this living organism and yeah. you know, really um, recognizing mm. where things are, are needing support and what type, you know, the interesting thing about a needle is you can, you can communicate to the body at the same point, different messages with the needle. So there's like a sedating aspect and a tonifying, oh. right? So it's, and, and some points in general are more sedating and some are general more tonifying, but you know, it's, it's really this dance with the body of like listening and then um, supporting it with what it's saying it needs. So it, it feels like the same thing with the, you know, the body of the, the world. Yeah. So you, um, I always like to come to those moments in, you know, in a Joseph Campbell-esque type of way, whenever people are on a particular journey, um, there's, there's always these moments of complete disorientation. Like, I do not know what I'm doing where all of a sudden uh, shadow emotions start to come in, whether it's fear, anxiety, and so forth. Can you touch on sort of your latest and um, sort of where the latest burn or the latest um, confusion, um, you know, something that, that you're currently sort of confronting on, on your journey with, um, you know, with impact right now? Sure. Or that, that recently happened or currently? I mean, there'd be a couple spaces. Um, this one I'm talking about, the guava uh, facility. I mean, this is a big, big thing to take on. Super exciting, but sure, fear and, um, you know, being in the Hawaiian Islands, being, uh, you know, from the mainland originally, um, it's important to be aware of, just to be aware of that and to be sensitive to the history of these islands and mm. the energy and um, the wisdom that the indigenous people have to offer. And, you know, so that is something I'm really trying to be mindful of and know that things will probably be construed or projected upon me, you know, uh, inc incorrectly. And that's, so that's sensitive and it brings up fears for me. That would be one. The other is um, my brother and I are, um, as I told you before, starting a new fund. So that's like a big risk and um, and exciting all at the same time. So, you know, seeing a need for a fund in the public equities uh, market that we don't feel exists, so wanting to create it. But at the same time, um, with the markets being the way they are right now and really, uh, you know, unstable and, um, it, it's, it's daunting. So again, just trying to listen to that voice that, um, is guiding us and, and continue on, but yeah, it's, it's daunting to take these things on, not knowing, you know, you need collaborators and players, but starting before they appear, you know, it's, that's kind of the feeling. It's like, and so it's beginning to appear already, as I mentioned, with the, the team in um, in Israel that we're going to work with. It's like they're, they're coming. But what I'm noticing is like, it's usually that step forward that I have to take first. And then it then it, you know, comes. And so with the with the Kauai project and with the one with Jack, it's like it's like you're walking kind of blindly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what do you use during those moments where, um, you know, I guess is the equivalent of the fog of impact when people serve the catalyst role and essentially set in motion, uh, you know, the energy for some form of uh, materialization? And what do you use as, uh, as a part of your path? And, uh, and, I see, and I know you practice a little bit, but perhaps you can share a little bit about this, your ballast, uh, your, your centering when uh, you find yourself in these situations to hold faith, uh, to be true to yourself, um, and to be able to uh, really sort of honor the intentionality. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have a, I have a deep meditation practice, um, you know, daily. And 
So bringing, um, I have a specific meditation I do called the sacred heart meditation, where I kind of journey in inside and it becomes like a visual, visual journey. Um, I guess maybe since I'm an artist that, so I, I end up getting wisdom in the form of images and, and, um, and so I'll literally bring questions in there and, and sit with them. And, um, and that's always that that's my most powerful place for guidance. Um, and then just, you know, listening to the body, listening to my body when things are, um, feeling tight, feeling constricted, just having the tools that I know support my body, whether it's yoga, acupuncture, um, meditation and journaling. So, you know, just, just trying to take everything inward. I mean, I, for me, the impact investing has been one of the ultimate personal growth vehicles, right? It's like, it's like get, get you with a lot of money. So it's really overwhelming and, you know, shakes up relationships and then, um, and then put it to work and, and go through all of, all of that. And it's, um, it's just providing ample opportunity to bring things in and sit with them and come back to the truth, you know, come back to the truth that, um, of abundance, you know, that, I mean, it, it, that is probably one of my biggest challenges in this space is to get out of a place of urgency. If I mm. find myself in that, cause it's so easy with yeah. everything happening, you know, in the world and global warming and, um, to, to feel so urgent. Um, but in my experience, that's usually my ego talking to me and, um, and so when I feel that physiology come up, like try to come back to this place of trust, abundance, you know, there's nothing to screw up kind of thing, you know, yeah. it's just like, it's all going to be perfect no matter what happens, even if it fails. Um, and just try to live that and come back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Where, um, I I periodically keep coming back to this idea that um, impact investing is largely still a cerebral um, in a cerebral journey for most. Um, you have demonstrated to me where it's a more of an embodied um, approach. It's a vehicle for social transformation, and. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious on how, how do we share the potentiality of the body wisdom, the, the other side of the brain, uh, alternative realities? Um, how do we get that out there besides demonstrating it ourselves? And I know that we are in a community together called Tonic, which has a culture within it that I think is attracted to these principles that that you're referring to and I think we're talking about where really this is path work and and these are opportunities to confront uh, things and I'd like to get your insight because it's part of what draws me into the space um, is the um, potential to look at at my whole person and I even challenged how tonic sometimes and other people consider a whole person is still, even their whole person is, cere is cerebral. But I mean, you obviously encountered not only um, are taken into the head, but the heart, but I mean, you're also talking about the ethereal body around you. Uh, you're in touch with the earth and just how do we get this message out? How do we get others to, um, you know, for me personally, I can only speak for my personally, but it's where I feel the most joy uh, in my existence. And it, I, it, I always feel the most joy there. And it yeah. feels like it's the one with the most protein, uh, the most fat, and it's not a very high carb, sugary uh, way of living. Um, whereas I feel like if I'm in my head, it's just, it feels like all sugar. It's just ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs all the way. So I think I've asked you for a third time and I keep going on about this, but how, how do we get that word out there about more of a holistic way of approaching our relationship with resources and stewardship? 
Well, I totally agree with you. It's, it's where I find the juice, you know, <laughs> I mean, life is always giving us these opportunities, right. And impact yeah. investing or investing with your money. Yeah. is just one. Um, you know, it kind of leads me back to the arts. I feel like if you think of experiences you have with the arts, when you go to a concert or you go to see a, a really moving film or you read that poem that just knocks you, right? These are the, the most efficient ways into the heart, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is why I love the arts. And, um, and it can reach people that aren't, you know, for you and I, this is like what we love, right? So we would sign up for a retreat that would be about impact investing and, you know, personal growth. But for someone who would absolutely delete that email, they would be impacted, though, by a powerful movie, you know, and a song that moves them. Um, mm-hmm. One of I went to New York for the launch of Upstart uh, Collab 2.0 and Yo-Yo Ma was there and he was telling us about this thing he's doing called the box series. And I guess the box suite the suites are, he says, the best a cellist could bring. You know, if he plays the box suites, it is the most complex. It pulls from his emotions in ways that are most challenging. So that, so he's giving you the best of him. So he came up with this idea to go around the world to different cities, play the box suites, and then encourage a dialogue Previous to going, they will have collaborated with people on what are the topics you guys as a community are needing to face and to, you know, hear diverse, you know, perspectives on and come together. And and so he's done five and he's for the next two years going to keep doing these. I think he's doing another like 30 something. But Hmm. it was so inspiring. And so he's using his art, right, to just like crack people's hearts wide open, lay the groundwork. And then have this incredible dialogue. And he, and he said, you know, he went to Flint, Michigan. And they were like, we don't want to talk about water, actually. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we don't want to talk about that. And, and so he's like, great, you know, what do you want to talk about? And then up to Montreal, where like, they want to talk about AI. And that's what was up for them. And, and it is so fascinating to hear the, you know, the diverse um, issues that meant something to different people. But what I loved is he's using his art to um to really spark that heart connection um and that full you know expression of creative self um so yeah so that question kind of leads me back to the arts yeah so you mentioned cracking your heart open i did and you mentioned earlier it sort of shook up your relations um a little bit when all of a sudden you came into uh, material abundance and can you touch on a little bit about how you navigated that? Because what probably seemed, um, I guess, were long-held relationships obviously got probably uh, colored a little bit and shaped as a result of this awareness around um, the material abundance that um, came to you and that is now being stewarded by you. Because so I know this is an issue that... Um, an opportunity, a gift, um, challenge. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, how that shaped you and what, and, and sort of how you navigated those um, relationships that were in flux. Mm. Well, the biggest one being my marriage, right? So that was something I had been seeing. Um, I, I, I say it was like watching a, a train wreck in slow motion, you know? It's kind of like I could see what the intoxication of success and the money Mm -hmm. were doing. And, um, but there was really nothing I could do to stop that from happening. And so when it finally just became apparent that um, it wasn't a match to be married anymore, it's been an amazing journey to see what can actually be possible when you're free to play out your life, you know, and there's no judgment there. It's like to let Mm. him go do him and to play that out. And we just have an incredible friendship now and um, a beautiful co-parenting arrangement. 
And that's been four years of, of like navigating, but that, that's probably the biggest one where I watched money just kind of have a, a very hypnotic and intoxicating hold on him. And, um, so that would be the first one. Um, and then it's just my own stuff, you know, like, I don't know if I'm sure other people go through this too, but you get, um, given all this abundance and there's this feeling of, I need to give it all away, you know, like, Oh, I need to help this person and that person. And, and, um, and, and then sitting with like, again, where's that coming from within me, you know, before I do that, you know, okay. It doesn't mean it's bad or, or good. It's just, what's the intention behind it for me? And am I, you know, what am I really trying to get from buying this person something they need or, you know, so, so I've just had so many opportunities to practice that one as, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see someone struggling and you think, Oh, I can, I can help, you know? Um, but is that really what is going to be the highest good for that person's spiritual growth? to just solve it, you know, or fix it. Um, I don't really believe so. And it doesn't mean you don't help in certain instances, but it's like that part of us that wants to fix, um, once you get resources can be really amplified, right. And and tested. Um, so, so that, that's been a big, big journey, um, of just listening in to like, what is really going to be the highest good here? Mm-hmm. How, how did you, um, I like that term you use, sort of the hypnotic attachment to um, abundance. And um, um, you mentioned it as um, a symptom, but I'm just curious on how you were sort of able to navigate. You saw the, you know, the hypnotic power of it. Um, and, and obviously a slow train wreck in slow motion or a train wreck in slow motion. But besides the divorce, um, you know, as a way of separating. So as you mentioned, to use your words, free to play out your life without judgment. He can be him. You can be you. I'd like to get a little bit more uh, understanding on what you do to um it can be hypnotic also to also be the person that receives all of the incoming um, needs uh, to the world. It can make you feel like uh, I'm front and center, right? I'd like to get a little bit of sense of like how you navigate that. You mentioned I go inward, but um, a little bit more about managing the ego um, or softening the ego during those moments. And um, you said, for your, for instance, yourself, is this the highest and best use for this particular person? That obviously puts us in a position of assessing whether we think it is, even though as opposed to really asking that person. And I see this in numerous occasions in philanthropy and charity work where it's always, um, it's not always, but you can see that we're predisposed to think that we know what's best for others. And I'm just wondering how you sort of navigate that. I love what you're doing with the arts. It seems like you are supporting the conditions for the artist to be artist. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, are you, how are you creating conditions for Lori to be Lori? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sort of the equivalent of investing in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I would say creating more time alone. Mm -hmm. Um, time to be creative myself, uh, and saying no to things, you know, in this space, it's so tempting to always be going to conferences and convenings and, um, Mm -hmm. uh, trips, you know? And, uh, and so I think one of my biggest practices has been, you know, saying no to a lot of things and staying grounded and staying home um, with my kids and painting and doing the things I know nourish me. But again, the ego is so slippery, right? The ego will come in and be like, you need to be doing more. You know, there's so much stuff you could be helping with and right. And, and so again, it's like, 
oh, like asking, being in dialogue with it. So is that, are you wanting me to do that so you feel important? You know, are you wanting me, you know, like what, what's this about here? Where's this coming from? Um, so there's, so I just find that the more I stay, like even this summer trying to figure out plans, I'm like, God, I think I just want to, you know, or we were talking about going to Tel Aviv. It's like, I would love to go to Tel Aviv with you guys, you know? I mean, I know you're going to have an incredible time. And when I check in, there isn't space there. It feels mm. like more of a clinging, yeah. like a fear of missing out. So mm-hmm. that's what I really look for is like where, so sometimes I'll get, you know, a, um, a feeling of, sorry, if you hear the noise, that's the tsunami warning once a month. Um, that they test yeah. out. Not a real tsunami, but that's the, uh, that's the test, test run. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, sometimes I, I get invited to something and it's like, boom, this really open, spacious feeling. Right. And I think, oh, okay. Yeah. So that, but if I'm like more like, Ooh, mm, you know, that sounds so good, but I don't want to admit it. You know, then I'm like, Oh, it's a little bit of a red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with this one a little bit longer. Um, so yeah. I love that idea of connecting it to whether you feel spaciousness or whether you feel constriction. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice way of uh, thinking about that. Um, I want to move a little bit um, back into where you, from your viewpoint, you mentioned a little bit on how at Tonic, some, some people are starting to form around this arts and supporting artists and where where do you see, in particular, the angle that you have invested in uh, with uh, supporting aesthetic communities? What do you see that space looking like five to ten years uh, from now, or hope that it looks like? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that pops to mind is the idea of getting artists in, in the room. You know, like mm. getting their perspective on things. So it isn't just about supporting their entrepreneurial, you know, endeavor, but this idea of appreciating that an artist spends their life connecting very deeply to that creative life force that is moving through them. And I believe holds the most wisdom you know? And so they, that's their practice is to continually open up and reach their edges and push through and, you know, be a a vessel and a conduit for that energy to come through. So if enough people value that and maybe recognize that that isn't their practice day to day, they have different strengths, they have different skills, but Mm. they want that in the room. There will be this like recruitment of and and valuing and um, a real desire for um, those people to be present on boards, you know, to um, be facilitating um, offsites for various companies. You know, there there be kind of this um, bridge between the artists being this thing over there that you then go enjoy their finished product to really seen as a powerful collaborator um, and perspective that's needed. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that. I was talking to a good friend of mine that uh, has been on many boards and uh, venture boards in particular. And there's always the founders, the venture firm, and then they have to have one independent um, and use that independent as a very old old person uh you have to have an elder you have to have the elder in the room but they're still bent to the same metrics same way of sort of seeing the world but it's sort of an elder that's able to sort of keep the calm mm-hmm. and i've always i've always suggested that every board should have a trickster on it just like the king and queen used to always have a joker as part of the courts um so too do we need a trickster to sort of always be um, rubbing up against the edge of uncomfortability and just sort of like showing people the other side or the opportunity cost of going one way versus another way. And it's a very difficult thing I've noticed to get buy-in on. And 
my, I have a particular goal and perhaps I think part of it is because my journey and I struggled early in my twenties, um, just a brief part about myself and part of my twenties was I spent my twenties r- raging against the machine, right? I mean, just replaying smashing pumpkins over and over and over. Uh, just thinking that and being attracted to that concept. And I think a large part of it is what I didn't know where to turn with my energy. I know where to go with this energy that I felt was constantly being reduced and commodified. And it's interesting that we do create business communities and artistic communities. And the irony is, is that both of these communities would benefit tremendously by uh, being on the same dance floor together. Um, And they can help each other out so much, just like I fall asleep with most business talk for business talk's sake. And then all of a sudden there's a bunch of artists who I know that I wouldn't even put in charge of a candy store, right? <laughs> because they can't operate. So I'm thinking, wow, wouldn't it be nice if like both of these groups can get together and the equivalent of when the East meets the West, how we sort of get the beauty of, of culture meeting, why not sort of meet up with people that are channeling Um, We have one body that's channeling optimization, efficiency, strategy, and are just great at it and just can talk about it all day. They'll fly all across the country. They hold meetings and they're talking about day and day. The other side is, 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 is talking flow and like aren't attached to outcome and want to play with color and potentiality. Uh, and freedom and body. It's like, wow, wouldn't it be beautiful if we got everybody in the room? And so uh, thank you for being out on front on doing that because I think my 20s would have been much different if I too would have had the moment to like, I can't, I want to play in both worlds. That's who I am. I want to, I'm at best when I'm migrating between the East and the West rather than being stuck. Um, it's a migration where my power um, emerges. And so, too, I think if we support aesthetic communities as much as we do, um, you know, business communities. And so I think you do a great job of talking about getting artists in the room. Um, that would be fantastic where all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's for good reason. There's a gender lens and it's all over now. Everybody's talking about gender. Um, but then no one has an artist lens. Uh, I mean, you can still be gender and still be all business, right? And that's still not going to get that 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 whole alternative reality um, to shift into it. Because a lot of us either are gifted with a certain disposition or have a certain training. And so it'd be interesting to see if in the future there's um, artist lenses as well. And it's like, oh. Is there an artist on the board? Just like we have our sort of uh, conception of diversity, it still doesn't include the arts, unfortunately, as I see as being in the room. And boy, that would just be uh, a real blessing. Uh, you see, I mean, so many ways. Do you, um, just to round out things, um, do you have anything to share that came up that um, I either didn't ask you for or that uh, percolated as a result of what came up? before we close it out. Well, I just, I appreciate that question of how do we get the concept of, you know, impact investing being a vehicle for personal growth, just how do we get that out there, you know, and reminding me that that is such a juicy place for me. And I'm, I'm sure there's tons of people who share that perspective and I would love to encourage, you know, anyone who resonates with that to reach out. And um, I'm not sure how we'd all gather and and build that movement, but I would love to be a part of it. So I just wanted to circle back to that. Yeah, that's great. I think it is taking shape. I think there is a subculture within Tonic. I know that Danny Almagor is pretty committed to it with uh, Impact Safaris, which by the way, Danny will be interviewed. um, Today is uh, Monday or Tuesday? Monday. Okay. Uh, so, so we're going to be doing a similar interview with Danny. And so a lot of similar topics obviously will be coming up, but I do think that there is a growing demand, especially as the impact space gets, um, appropriated by larger cultural conventions. 
and larger cultural lenses. Um, and as people look to scale impact, it will um, scale spirit out of the experience. And so it will despiritualize the encounter. Uh, so I do believe that, that a natural progression will has and continues to emerge as a result of um, where there's a spiritual vacuum, people will gather, coalesce, and, and create uh, responses to it. I do think that is taking shape. And I, too, would want to hear from you if, I mean, you are uh, know of gatherings and groups, and um, you know that this message will be shared with a lot of people that uh, will have this kind of identification. And that was the preset behind this journey to impact. Um, obviously, we could have talked more product and more portfolio, but I feel like that voice um, is is being heard. Um, and but yet, to understand that behind the product is a person, mm-hmm. and to understand that since we are humans that are sensorial, sentient beings, in essence, that's how we gather. First, we don't gather on product identification. Uh, but we gather on personal identification. So that was at the heart of just seeing a need for this. And I want to thank you for participating in uh, the series. Jed kicked it off, and who I know is a good friend of yours and has helped with your adventure. And we have many others coming be, um, after you. But thanks so much, Lori. Thank you, Gino. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much again. All right. Hi. All right, checking out. Have, have a good time in Kauai. And do want to remind everybody that we have Danny Almagor uh, coming up on Wednesday. And then if you look at our schedule, we have John Fullerton, Joel Solomon as well, and many others as well coming up here in uh, the next month. So please stay tuned. And thanks again for um, being able to join us. Thanks, Lori. Awesome. Bye, Gino. Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.